Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, as we come to you this morning and um, explore this amazing letter from Paul um, to the church in Ephesus, Father, I, I pray that you'd be with us, that you'd be with me as I present to all of the people here today um, my thoughts on your word, Father. Um, I just ask right now that you would you would bless me with wisdom and that you would bless my mouth as I as I speak these words. And Father, I pray over this this group of people today that are tuning in. Um, and I just ask that you would give them ears to hear and hearts that are open to what you have to say, Father. And so with that, I just ask that you'd bless this service in your name. Amen. Excellent. Excellent. Sorry, my eyes are a little bit blurry. So, Ephesians. Um, like I said, it's a book that I really never spent a lot of time studying in the past. Um, I mean, I, I've read, I've read the epistles. Um, I've, I've read all the books in the Bible, but it's not something that I've really spent a lot of time in devotions, reading through, kind of focusing on it and trying to trying to get a better understanding of. Um, most of the epistles are just not something that I've really held on to um, that tightly. I've been more, I, I love the book of Exodus. Matthew is by far my, my favorite of the Gospels and the book of Acts. A lot more of the, the narrative type of um, writing styles. And so for me to start looking at Ephesians in the depth that I have, I have gained a whole new appreciation for the epistles. Um, not saying that I ever discounted them or thought that they weren't of value. It's just not a, a style of writing that I've really, that has really resonated with me in the past. But um, as I've dug into this, there, I've really, uh, it might be one of my favorite books of the Bible now. Um, so intro to Ephesians here, the book of Ephesians. Um, it's actually probably one of the most influential letters that Paul had written. Um, it was very widely circulated um, in Asia Minor, which is the area that Ephesus is in. Um, and it's a letter that, so a, a lot of the letters um, were written to specific churches. But Ephesians is more of a broad strokes kind of letter, and it's widely thought that it was actually written to the churches of Asia Minor. So it was, it was something that there is like a template, and this letter went out, and you pretty much insert name of church here, or the name of city here. And so it would be like us receiving a letter from the ACOP, let's say, and it's a letter that went out to everybody, but it just drop in Dryden Full Gospel Church. That's what this is believed to be. Is it's something that was just sent out to a lot of churches, um, which is really great because that means there's a lot of wide application for this. It's not something that was written admonishing certain behaviors within the church, certain issues and whatnot that were coming up, um, whether it be moral issues, theological issues. Um, this book was actually, this letter, sorry, was written... Um, 
with a few things in mind. At the beginning of the letter, we see an introduction to the gospel. It was pretty much, here's the work of Christ. This, this is what we base our beliefs on. The rest of the book is, now, now that you believe, here's how you live it out. These are things that you, you need to change within your life and follow to truly be a, a disciple of Christ. And it's, it's really good because it's a, a general overview, almost, of some really basic truths about Christian life. Um, and I'm going to apologize. I keep looking down. My notes are down here. Camera's up here. I almost need like a teleprompter. But uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's kind of a, a guidebook almost. Um, in, in a way, it's almost exactly what we're doing right now. It was, uh, it was Paul's way of reaching out to people that he couldn't be there seeing, spreading the gospel, the good news, the work of Christ, and then here's, here's how you apply it. Here's how you live. Uh, so really, really interesting. Actually, it's, it's, it's almost the uh, live stream of 2,000 years ago, except it was very slow, leggy live stream. Um, so it's a really important letter. Like I said, it covers off a lot in very few words. I mean, in my little, well, not pocket Bible, but my one that I carry around with me, it covers over four pages. That's the book of Ephesians. It's very small, six chapters, four pages in my Bible. Um, but there's a lot to it. Like I said, I could easily have done more than six Sundays preaching on Ephesians. Um, so Tony Merida, um, the, the writer of one of the commentaries that I, I was reading for this, uh, he breaks down why Ephesians is so important in six quick points. It deepens our understanding of the gospel. It magnifies the importance of the church. Its exploration has changed many lives. There's a lot of, um, I don't want to say famous Christians, but really influential people in the past who have recorded how Ephesians have actually touched their lives through their testimony. Um, it's, it's possibly the most uh, contemporary of the epistles. Uh, it also provides grace-filled encouragement. Uh, again, it's not admonishing anybody for anything. It's just, here, I encourage you to live this out. And it offers some practical answers to, to um, basic questions about Christian life. So really, really broad stroke. Like I said, it's got a lot to it for everyone. And it's not just, hey, you can't do that with your stepmom, right? There's things like that. Um, in the other epistles that aren't touched on in Ephesians. So we're going to dive in. We're going to start exploring it. So right off the bat, verse 4, we learn something really, really important, something that's so important and so basic that I, as much as I know it, it's not something that really the importance occurred to me. We're told that God chose us right? Verse 4, God chose us. It can be a terrifying thought, really, but really we should be honored by this and embrace it. Um, the idea of God choosing people, that's not a new concept. That's not at all a new concept. Um, God has been choosing people from the beginning of time. 
He chose to create the uh, world for his glory. He chose Abraham to bring blessing to the nations. He chose Israel to be a light to the nations. And Jesus chose his disciples to bear fruit and multiply. Something really interesting to note is that by being chosen, we are adopted into God's family as his sons and daughters. And that that comes right out of verse 5, right? So in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We are being adopted. But what does that mean for us? What does it mean to be adopted by Christ or by God? First off, what is adoption, right? We know it in today's culture. We know what adoption looks like. But it was a little bit different back in the time that Paul was writing this letter. In Roman culture, to be adopted was to be given all the rights and privileges that belonged to someone's children. So if I adopted somebody, they had all of the rights and privileges. It was it was a very it was very much uh, inheritance based sort of thing. Um, they could act on behalf of the family. Um, I mean that's that's not so different as uh, today as it was back then, but it was very much more a formality of saying no, you are you are a part of my family. You are going to inherit what I have. So that means that in relation to God, we have access to his ear. We can go and talk to him at any time. We don't need to request an audience with him. Um, And we have an inheritance waiting for us. Like I said, there's an inheritance involved. But there's also a a horizontal aspect to this adoption. Um, So it's not just that we have these rights and privileges in respect to God, um, but we become brothers and sisters with other Christians. The church itself is a a sprawling adopted family of sinners, essentially, right? We are all sinners and we've all been adopted by God. Um, The Father has adopted us. So we, we kind of inherit a larger family also because of this. What's important to note here too is that this adoption took place before the foundation of the world. God doesn't make mistakes. We've been called into this life that we're living since the beginning. The beginning. Just the beginning. We've been called into this. We have always had a place. We're certainly here for a good reason. I mean, that's that's just it. God God works everything together for good, right? So we're here for a reason. This this he knew was coming, even if we didn't. Um, now, our adoption is through Jesus Christ. So the way I, I, I look at that is, is Jesus is our, our caseworker. So only because of the work that he's done for us that's why we can be adopted. It's the work that Jesus did that we can we can come to the Father and be adopted. He was he was 
here working on our behalf. He took care of the work that needed to be done. He did the paperwork, so to speak. Um, and, and he's the one that really gave us that access to be adopted. But why? Why did God adopt us? Paul says that it was done according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So we don't have all of the answers. And I really don't think that anybody can stake that claim, that we have all the answers. We've got it all figured out. We know how it's all going to play out exactly to the T. There are road markers and whatnot that we can follow, but we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and we're not supposed to worry about that. And we likely won't know and have the answers until we're with God for eternity. And honestly, maybe we won't even have it then. Um, we will definitely have things revealed to us, but are we going to know every answer at that point? I don't know. Really, that doesn't have any bearing on my soul. Um, I just know that I trust God with whatever he's got going on. But it sounds to me that this is an honor that God has given us simply because he wanted to. Simply because it shows his amazing capacity for grace, right? So we, we don't know why God has chosen to adopt us into his family. We don't know why he's made us part of his family, but he did to show his grace. He, he chose, he chose us and he chose to show us grace, even though we didn't deserve it, that there's nothing that we could do to deserve it. He chose us and he has, um, shown his grace. So God really is in the business of choosing what is, and now this is from 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 28 to 29. He's in the business of choosing what is low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in his presence. That really speaks to the character of the Father, which we can see throughout these verses. It, it kind of shows me four evident truths about God. Verse 4 tells us um, God's loving, right? He chose his people out of love even though he didn't have to. There's nothing, there was no rule written saying, hey, okay, after, here, here's my, here's my uh, to-do list. After I create the world, I need to, oh yeah, I need to choose these people to do this and this. There was no rule. He did it out of love. And out of love, he gives us the option to choose him over our sin. He gives us that option because he loves us. He's sovereign. Um, God choosing us, that's all part of his plan and fulfills his purposes. Um, I don't want it to sound harsh, but it's, it's not about us. It has nothing to do with us. It's fulfilling God's purposes. 100%. That's it. So God's sovereign. God's gracious. Absolutely he is. I know this. I know God is gracious. We haven't done anything 
to deserve being chosen. Often I hear in testimonies about people who they hear from God that they're, you know, they're called to do this. Um, and they constantly ask, well, why me? Like, of all the people, why me? You know what? He's, he's gracious. He's 100% gracious. We haven't done anything to deserve being chosen. He, his, his choosing us is an expression of his grace. And God's wise. I mean, can we, can we really argue that? Um, all of these things, all of these things um, uh, accumulate to, to show God's great wisdom at work. And ultimately, we, we should be humbled by the fact that God has chosen us. Now, remember back when we were talking about adoption. We're adopted through Christ, right? Christ did the work for us. This adoption is our redemption. So redemption implies liberation from bondage or imprisonment. So uh, an, an example would be Exodus, right? There was redemption there as the people of Israel left Egypt um, and left Pharaoh's clutches. They were being redeemed. When I think about this, I kind of think about um, the way we see foster systems um, on TV and in movies, right? Um, so kind of that movie, um, Angels in the Outfield, that I don't even know, that's got to be almost 30, 30 years ago now. Um, but we see the foster system where people are in in situations that they just they don't necessarily want to be in these situations. In terms of adoption, um, though, we're, we're no longer wards of the state. We move out from being a ward of the state, somebody who is just held captive by this world, and we're redeemed into the family of God. We've been liberated from that system and brought into the family of the Father which I think is pretty amazing. And what's really amazing about that is that Paul says we have redemption. We don't hope to have redemption. We have it. We 100% have the redemption. And he explains it this way in Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our rescue has already happened. We're not sitting here waiting for rescue. It has happened. And Paul tells us that it's through his blood that this is possible, through the blood of Jesus. So that means that if we agree that Jesus died for us, then our redemption has already taken place. So we, we, we see that, we agree, then our redemption has taken place. What's really important to note about this is the cost of that redemption. When a price was paid that was this high, we need to be doing everything. We have a responsibility to do everything in our power to be thankful for the redemption that we've been, that we've had, right? Not squander it, not throw it away and 
say, okay, yeah, I'm redeemed. Great, I believe and I'm just going to keep living my life. Well, no, we have a responsibility. Um, it's, it's an amazing gift and there needs to be something that we, we do to reciprocate that. That's not the expectation um, per se, but you can't have Christ in your life and there not be a change and there not be action to show it. So the best part is that this redemption leads to something even more amazing. There's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's an event to come in the future. Um, essentially, history is going somewhere, right? There's still things to come. Think of this uniting of all things as a, a different idea than simply bringing it all together. Um, yeah, that's what's at work here, but there's something more and something that's deeper. Note that Paul says things in heaven and things on earth. So there's a, a, a cosmic or spiritual unification to come because of our redemption, because we've been redeemed. There is more to come yet. Uh, John Stott describes this very well. And he says, in the fullness of time, God's two creations, his whole universe and his whole church will be unified under the cosmic Christ, who is the supreme head of both. This is the ultimate end game. And this is what we are, are working towards. That's what we're called to work towards. This also calls forth a unification, though, of our adoptive family. Um, we, we need to work together towards these common goals. Division isn't, isn't a part of this. We need to work together towards this. So let's continue on and roll with the adoption uh, thought a little bit more. So we are now children of the Father, right? We we looked at that um, back near the beginning of this. We've been given all of the rights and privileges that any of his children have. That also means we get an inheritance. I like that. I I have no issue with that. I I mean. Who doesn't love receiving something? Throw in that that's coming from God? Yep, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I would love to. So we get to be a part of the future unification that we just talked about. That's part of our inheritance. We get to spend eternity with the Father in his glorious presence, in his gracious presence. We get to see creation restored to the way it's supposed to be. I'm sorry, I'm getting goosebumps as I say this. I've read it over a hundred times, but now that I'm actually saying it out loud, it just... Ah, yeah. These are all things that are to come. There's an inheritance coming, but it's not something that we can fully receive yet. 
So in the meantime, we've been given the Spirit. Paul says that when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I want to pause for a moment and just mention how much I love that Paul refers to the Gospels as the word of truth. Or the Gospel, sorry, as the word of truth. In a world of misinformation where we can hop on Facebook and find all kinds of alternative facts and whatnot, it's refreshing to remember that there is somewhere that I can always turn to read the truth. The absolute truth. Right here. This is, this is, this is the truth. If you want truth, go here. Um, I, I suffer from a lot of anxiety and I have noticed that I cannot spend much time on Facebook these days because it's just too much for me. I turn, I turn to the word of truth. Um, in those times, I, I find that it's refreshing and I need to be recentered. So, seals were used for a couple of um, things back in those days. Uh, most commonly, we think of seals um, in terms of showing authenticity. Uh, letters may have been sealed with a wax stamp. I, I love those things. Um, it was almost like a signature saying, yeah, this is, this is me. They're also used for what we know today as uh, branding to show ownership. So cattle and slaves were branded to protect property from theft. These types of seals were outward to show authentic ownership of property. So much like those seals, we're given the Holy Spirit as an inward seal on our hearts to show that we belong to God were marked as an authentic part of his family. And without this seal, we can't claim our inheritance. This really still happens today. Uh, if, if any of you have ever been involved in um, dealing with a, a will, execution of a will, I mean, can you, can you process um, that without showing your ID, without proving that you are the person that is supposed to be taking care of that will, dealing with that inheritance? No. I mean, there are steps that need to be taken to ensure that you are actually involved in it um, and that you are a part of that inheritance process. So it still happens today. So Paul goes on to say that there is, uh, that the Spirit is a the guarantee of our inheritance. So again, coming from the banking industry, um, I can relate to, relate to that idea um, of a guarantee. Um, in in uh, farming banking, agricultural banking, uh, we would take guarantee over your crops. So essentially, your crops were used as security against the line of credit sometimes. And if we ever had to turn that loan over and and call on the funds or recall the funds um, we would pretty much take ownership of the crops um, so yeah yeah a guarantee is is saying 
that there is something coming to us, right? Guarantees during the time of Paul were relatable to a down payment or a deposit type of collateral. Um, so that's really important language. It tells us that the Holy Spirit is just a small, tiny glimpse of what we get to look forward to. And if you've ever felt the presence of the Spirit, just that little bit, if it's just a small glimpse of what we get, that's incredible. So we get to look forward to his presence with us, his support for us, an eternal and intimate um, connection with God. The Holy Spirit gives us a taste of what's coming. It represents God's promise that we, uh, that we will have a part in the things to come. We will. We have that promise in the form of the Holy Spirit. Wow. <laughs> wow. I love it. And this is, this is just the intro to the letter. <laughs> He's explaining this. He's breaking it down for us. So, summary and application of this. What's really interesting, I didn't, I didn't tell you my, my headers for my sections there. What's really interesting to note within chapter 1 here, within these verses, is that the wholeness of God is at work here. God has his whole self into this. We've been chosen by the Father. We're redeemed through the Son. And we're assured by the Holy Spirit. It's such an amazing feeling knowing that God is pouring his entire self into me. Into us. That he would focus so much energy and attention on us that his whole self is poured into it. Who am I to be worth all of this? I'm one who has been adopted in and afforded all of the rights and privileges of a child of God, the Father. So now we've unpacked the first chunk of Ephesians, but what does it mean for us? Well, it means that God has chosen and redeemed us and given us a guarantee of his promises. But what's missing from this? The seal that we talked about was often used in business transactions. So there's two parties involved in a business transaction. What, what we talked about was a lot of what God has done for us. Now don't misunderstand me here. Nothing we can do can ever um, cause us to deserve the grace that we've been shown. There is no action. There is nothing that we can possibly ever do to deserve it. However, it's important to note that we still have a responsibility. What I see out of this is, this is what God's done for you. Now, later on in the book, we, we see some of that responsibility, but we're being told what God has done for us. We need to live as though we've received all of these amazing gifts from God. We need to live that life. We can't just say, yeah, we believe it, we accept it, and then turn around and walk in sin. We need to help other people become adopted into our extended family. Uh, I think of um, when, when 
families, I've, I've known some amazing families over the years. Um, some of you are listening to this likely, um, who essentially adopt you into their family. They accept you in as one of their own. And it's amazing to me that God does that and he charges us with the responsibility of spreading that. It's our responsibility to continue showing his love and help other people become adopted in. It's literally what we're called to do. So I encourage you today not to take these things for granted. Um, let's live our lives every single day to the praise and glorious grace of the Father. That's what I've got for you today. Um, and I hope that it's something that, that is speaking to you. And I'm sorry, I think I went a little bit long. Um, but it's... Uh, this first message especially has really weighed on my heart as I've been in preparation. And it just excites me for the rest of the book. It sets up the rest of the, the letter. Uh, and I'm really excited to share with you again in the coming weeks. So I'm going to pray real quick um, for everybody. Um, so join me with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for the undeserved grace that you've shown us. Father, that you've adopted us into your family, that you sent your son to be our caseworker and do the paperwork and get us in there. And Father, that you've given us a guarantee of the things to come, that we are marked by your Holy Spirit as inheritors of, of the future that you've got for us. God, it's just so amazing that you you've laid it all out there for us and you've put every ounce of your being into relationship with us, Father. I thank you that you're chasing after us so hard, Father. Some of us don't get the hint right away and some of us need that, that outpouring of your whole being to, to just notice and, and um, make a change in our lives, Father. So God, I just pray that, that this, this touches hearts today, that it really resonates with people. And Father, um, I pray that you'd bless everyone who's, who's listening today, Father. Um, and that you'd, just, you'd help them know that even if they don't see it, if they don't know that they're loved by the people around them necessarily, that they would know that they're loved that they're loved by us. Even if we don't know them, we love them because you love them, Father. And so I just, uh, I ask, yeah, that you would, you would help us spread that love. And Father, I pray that you'd bless everybody as they, as they go out this week um, and that you would just, you would help them assess where they're at and make sure that, you know what? Yeah, we're living for you, Jesus. We're, we're taking this and we're actually applying it to our lives and we're living like you paid the ultimate price because you did. So Father God, that's what I ask in your name today. Amen. 
Excellent. Well, thank you all for joining with us today. Um, we look forward to seeing you in person next week. It'll be really exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So call us throughout the week to, to book your spot, please. And thank you. So go with the grace of God today um, and remember what he's done for us and uh, live that out. Bless you all this week. Love you.